This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 3. We're in the series uh, called Who Then Is This? All the way through the gospel of, of Mark. Um, and we, we are trying to understand who Jesus is. You know, we can spend a lot of time in our Bibles and know a lot about him, but we want to know him. There's a difference. We want to get to know who he is and what he says and the authority that he brings and what does it mean that he's the king and what does that mean for you that he's the king? What does that mean in terms of authority in your life? He, he is the king of all things. How are we supposed to process through that and think through it? I, I grew up in Michigan. Um, go blue if you're a college football fan, um, a Michigan fan. Uh, so a group of Michigan, and there's a lot of lakes there. And we spent some time at lakes. We would go and, and uh, you know, people had houses on lakes uh, in the north part of Michigan. And I remember one time we were up at this lake in Michigan, and the, the people that we were with had a couple wave runners. And so, you know, this lake's a couple miles down, a couple miles back. And so a couple of us get on these wave runners, and we're just we just take off. I mean, we're going as fast as we possibly can. You know, we're probably reckless. We're in high school, so I don't know if we really, you know, thought about other people as high schoolers sometimes don't, you know, if you're a high school kid, hey, I'm not judging. I'm just being honest, all right? When I was in high school, I didn't, I didn't really think about other people, and so I'm sure that's what we were doing. And as we're coming back, going as fast as we possibly can, uh, I see this guy start following us and tries to, like, cut us off. And so he gets in front of us, and we slow down, and he says, hey, can you guys pull to the side. I need you to get off of the wave runners. So I'm like, okay, what's going on? So we get off the wave runners. We're standing on the, on the, 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 um, the grass, you know, on the side of the lake. And he says, uh, do you know how fast you're going? I'm like, not really. Well, I don't know how to tell how fast we're going on this thing. As fast as we can. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how fast that is, but we're going pretty fast. He's like, you know what the, you know what the speed limit is here? And we're like, I didn't know there was a speed limit on the lake. Oh, there's a speed limit, he said, you know, there's a speed limit. Um, I'm going to have to give you a ticket. It's like, really? There was a ticket. Okay, so now I'm panicky because I'm like, well, I don't, this is, these aren't mine. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Am I getting the person in trouble? Who are you, who are you staying with? He, you know, he's asking all these questions like, oh, this person, I don't really know their names. You know, I'm trying to get out of this thing. And so uh, he gives us this ticket and I take it back and we go to the house. We're kind of like walking with our heads down. Hey, we got a, we got a ticket. I don't know how we need to pay it. And the, the guy that owned the house says, who, who gave you a ticket? Like, what, what do you mean? Oh, there's this guy. He pulled us over and he said we were going too fast. He gave us a ticket. He's like, did he look like this? And he, we said, yeah. He's like, that guy's not a police officer. He's just a house owner. He doesn't like people going fast. We're like, really? Okay. All right, I see how this is. And, and so my attitude totally changed. You know, at one point, I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, this guy's a police officer. Like, I'm, all of a sudden, I'm scared. I'm thinking I'm like, going to go to jail. Like, I can never come back here. I got to pay a bunch of money. And, my, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, when I realized that he had no authority, there was no authority for what he had, my response was totally different. I was like, well, I'm not listening to that guy. Here, can I throw this ticket out? He's like, just throw it out. I was like, great. I'm not going to listen to this guy anymore. My response totally changed. Here's the difference. My response changed because my belief about him changed. What I believed about him changed. And so therefore, I didn't respond in the same way. My response totally changed. Listen, church, we have to get this. 
um, how you think about Jesus, what you believe about him, it will, it will adjust how you respond to him. There's something about our belief about who Jesus is that causes us to respond certain ways. Which is really our big idea today is this, how you respond to Jesus reveals what you believe about him. How you respond to him re- reveals what you believe about him. And as Christians, this can change daily. There's some days where like he's the king, and then the other days we're like, I want more stuff. And we, we have to continue to, to work on this. Some of you maybe aren't Christians, and you don't, your belief is just simply that he is a good person. That's going to dictate how you respond to him. And we want to make sure we get this from the Bible. This isn't just me making this up. We want to make sure that we see it. Here's my question as we think about this big idea and responses and beliefs. My question is, what does this matter for you on a Tuesday morning? When you get up for work, you know, you think, well, who cares? You know, I, I get this. I, I know sometimes in sermons we talk about things and you think, well, yeah, okay, but I go to work on Tuesdays. My kids still wake me up way too early on Tuesdays. Um, I got to go to the gym on Tuesdays. They get my name wrong at Starbucks again on Tuesdays. Whatever it is, you know, Tuesday morning, real life hits. W- why does this matter to me? And I'm going to come back to that because it does matter. And I want to make sure that we, we hit it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read... Uh, Mark chapter 1, I'm tra- Mark chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 1. We already preached through verses 1 through 6, but I'm going to hit it again, and I'm going to finish reading in verse 19, and, um, and then we're just going to break it down a little bit. Uh, really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through, through a couple different things. I'm going to hit four, I'm going to do this quickly, four responses that we see in these verses, and then, and then I just want to quickly hit uh, what, what is the heart belief behind those responses, and how we can benefit from them, and, and and I think hopefully uh, grow. May the Spirit may work in us through this. So let me read Mark chapter one, be, uh, 3, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. It says, Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, Stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately, the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. Notice those are, if you don't know, those are both Gentile and Jew- Jewish places. And his word was the, his name has been spread now. So people are coming from all over the place to get a piece of him. And the, the large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. 
And he appointed 12 whom he named apostles to be with him to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the 12 to Simon. He gave the name Peter and to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave the name Boengers, which is the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. There's uh, four different responses here to Jesus that we see in the text. I'm just going to go through these. The first response we see is those that are opposed to him. See this in verses 3, 1 through 6. The Pharisees were opposed to him. They stood against him. We see it right in the text. They were now looking on how to kill him. So they, they, didn't, they didn't like him. They didn't like what he had to say. They were offended by him. They didn't want to hear anything about him anymore. What they wanted was him gone. They wanted him to, to just go away. This guy's got to go away. They, they stood opposed to him. That's response number one. Response number two is people who used him. We see these large crowds coming from all over the place, from, from, from the Jewish centers in Jerusalem to Gentile centers around Galilee. People had heard all about things that he was doing, it says. They heard all that he was doing, and they thought, well, if he can do that there, maybe he can do that here in me. And so they, they said, I want to go get a piece of this guy. They didn't care about him because they were getting ready to crush him. He said, you got to get me out into the boat because these people are going to crush me. They were just trying to get close so that they could take something from him. There's no indication that they continued to follow him. They just wanted him to give them something. So they, they used him. They were using him for, for something that they needed at the time. And we have this third response, which is uh, these demons that knew a lot about him. There's difference between, like I said earlier, knowing a lot about him and knowing him. Those are different things. You can know a lot about Jesus without knowing him. And the, the demons knew who he was. They knew, they actually, what's interesting is, out of all the people here, they're the only ones that actually know who he actually is. No, nobody actually knows who he is. Jesus is trying to keep it a secret. This is a, one of the themes of Mark, which is this messianic secret. He doesn't want people to know actually that he's the Messiah yet. Because when they find out, he will be killed. So, so they're, 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 they're trying to shout out, he's, hey, gee, this is the son of God. Like they're, they're, and notice they also bow down to him. So they recognize that he is an authority over them. And they know a lot about him but they don't believe that he's worthy of their worship. And so there's something about knowing him. They knew about him. And then there's these people that followed him and that really sought to know him. We see it in verse 7. It says, Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea. They were with him. We see then uh, down in verse uh, 13 that Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. They followed him. They listened to him. They wanted to get, uh, they wanted to get deeper in terms of the, their knowledge of him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And then we, we are named this 12. Let me just give a, a quick um, 
sidebar here in terms of the 12, because a lot of times we hear them called the disciples, and they are, they're disciples. But there's a lot more disciples than 12, right? There's a lot, we, we read about the 12, but there's a lot more disciples here than just 12 people. There's women there, there's other guys there. We see in Acts chapter 1 that there was a lot of other people that followed him. Um, but Jesus calls 12 specific men here to be called apostles, meaning to be those that are sent out. And to be an apostle, we read in Acts, would have been, you had to be somebody that uh, knew Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry when John was baptized all the way through the end to witness the resurrection, to see Jesus as the risen Christ, and to be sent out by him. So here are 12 men. There'll be 12, or there'll be some more, not 12 more, there'll be some more apostles added later. Paul will be an apostle later. James, Jesus' brother, it's not the James that's here. James, Jesus' brother, would be an apostle. Barnabas would be an apostle later on. So other apostles, those that have seen him risen and been sent out by him. All right, so but here is the 12, and 12 matters because 12 actually is a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. If you think about the dwelling of God, this is a biblical theme, a biblical theological theme. God's desire has always been to dwell with his people. We see that in, in uh, Genesis, the very beginning, the Garden of Eden. He's walking with them. They sin and, and he, they have to be removed from that. But, but after that, God's, you know, he sets up um, with Moses in the burning bush on this mountain. He goes into the mountain with the people where there's fire and thunder and the people are terrified you know, and so then he, he goes with them out when they're in the Exodus in fire, pillars of fire and clouds, and he's, he's constantly with them. And then they set up tabernacle, a tabernacle. And the way that they would set up that tabernacle is it's right in the middle of the 12 tribes. All the 12 tribes, they'd, be, they'd camp all around that tabernacle. He'd be smack in the middle of it. Then the temple comes, and the temple, there's the Holy of Holies, and God dwells in the middle of the city with the people. And here Jesus says, no more... Is my dwelling place going to be in a temple? It's going to be with my people. And the people here in the Messianic age is not just the nation of Israel, it's the church. You apostles, there's 12 of you, because now in this Messianic kingdom, my kingdom has come, now I dwell amongst the people, and you're representative of the people. And notice he's also on a mountain. There's this mountain, the calling of the 12 this new people of God coming in represented by these 12 men. And we know that because in Acts chapter 1, uh, after Judas betrays him, they bring another to make it 12. We've got to have 12. And so they do that. And so there is something symbolic here about Jesus dwelling as God in the midst of his messianic kingdom, the people, the church, as these people would go be sent out as disciples those who followed him, disciples, this solidifies discipleship. This, solidify, this solidifies those who wanted to be close to him, to see him, to know him, to be Christ-like, and to look like him to the world, and to be missionaries, to go out. And such is uh, the nature of the Christian. We, we are those who are disciples, just like these men, those who, who seek to be like Jesus in every way, not perfectly, all right? We are imperfect, but seek to be like Jesus and who are missionaries. And this is those who followed him. Four different responses. The question is, what does this reveal about hearts? Because, because our response uh, to Jesus will reveal what we believe about him. 
So what was being believed in these four responses? The first response is opposition response. The belief was just simply that he wasn't God. And we, we see that uh, today a lot. People that aren't Christians just decide he's not God. It's not that he's not worthy of worship. He's not, but he's not worthy of worship because we, we don't believe he's God. It's different than the demons. The demons knew he was God. But they, they still didn't think he was worthy of worship. Here, people just are saying, nope, he is not worthy. You know, he, he's, he's, there's something about him like, he's not God. He's not God, so I'm just not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. And that's, that's the, the belief here that they believed. He just wasn't who he said he was. He wasn't the Messiah, which was the, the great tragedy of the, the Pharisees is that they knew so much, but yet they just went, no, no, he's not even God. Like, he's not, he's not who he says he is. God in their midst, they stood opposed to him and tried to kill him. It's their, their heart belief. Uh, the second group of people, their belief uh, is that, that he's there when needed or called upon. Man, if we need to be careful about not simply being consumers of Jesus when we need him, because we get to this situation sometimes where we don't think about him. We go throughout our lives. We're not, we're not thinking about him much. Sunday morning comes and we think about him because we sing songs and you hear this. The rest of the week we don't because things are going great. You know, we feel like we're doing okay. And then tragedy strikes and what's our first thought? Lord, help. Well, we haven't asked him for anything for six months. But now it's like, Lord, where are you? Help me. You know, I, I, need, I need you. This is, this is a belief that he's there when needed, but that's about it. This is like the genie in Aladdin. You know, you never had a friend like me. I, man, Jesus, I never had a friend like Jesus. He is always there to answer my questions and my wishes. Otherwise, get back in the genie bottle, man. Like, I don't want you around here messing up my life. I like, I like Jesus when he can give me stuff that I need. Don't like it when he tells me how to live my life and who I can't sleep with because we're not married yet. And, and I don't like it when he tells me, like, how I have to live. I don't want that. I like the fact, like, wait a second. Ah, my, 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 my marriage is kind of bad. I'm just going to get a divorce. I don't care. Jesus, don't even, don't even talk to me about this. Here, I, Jesus, I don't want to hear it when you're thinking about how I need to treat my, my kids because I'm going to just, like, I'm just, I'm tired. I want you to speak into that part of my life. If I get cancer, well, then I need you. Like, you got to help me, Lord. You got to be careful, church. Because we can be just like this. There's this belief that, man, Jesus is just there when I need him. That's about it. Like I said before, there's no indication that these people that came to him from everywhere followed him. Maybe some of them did. But for the most part, it seems like they came, got what they needed, went back home. Third belief is that God isn't worthy of worship. Like I said before, these demons knew who he was. There's plenty of theologians, biblical scholars, who have no idea that the, the one they're worshiping or the one that they're studying is worthy of worship. They, they aren't Christians. There's plenty of Christians and churches who, man, they, they love to study the Bible. They love to learn about God. They love to know a lot about Him. They love to be able to pontificate here and there about who he is and make arguments on Twitter and try and rile people up and speak very high things about he, who he is. And yet, the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their life is minimal to none. Matter of fact, sometimes there's people on Twitter, and again, I, 
it's, this is a hot button for me, but those people on Twitter that you just read and you're like, man, I, I don't, there's no Jesus here. And you're saying true things, but man, where's the, where's the charity? Where's the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Don't see any of it. That's all the fruit of the Spirit. Like, I, it's, just, it's just weird. Like, it's weird to me. We can get caught up in this too. We can be people of the Word who aren't people of the author. And we need to be people of the author. Yes, people of the Word. I love my Bible. We, we're preaching through it. I read it. I know it. I'm trying to know who God is in it. But man, if we're just simply those who are going through here and being like, what does the Greek word say? Mm, that's interesting and that's good. And then what we don't think of is, how do I apply this to my life? And what does this tell me about the God that wrote this so I can know him? I think, I think we're in danger of believing something that's going to cause us to respond in a way that's not biblical. We have to be careful. This is like a student who studies a ton and then forgets what he studies like the next day because he can just hold so much in his brain. It's not really about learning you know, or application, it's about just trying to pass a test. And we've got to be careful that that's not the case. We want to make sure we know him. And then the last one, who is those that followed him, they believed that he was the king. They believed he had authority. They believed that he was the God of all things. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed that he, he had come in some wrong ways to restore everything. They would be corrected. They would understand it. Not perfectly. I mean, Peter's going to go around and say, like, I don't even know who that guy is. Um, there's other disciples. You know, John, I love John and James. Or they call, he calls them the sons of thunder because they, you know, they had moments where they're like, hey, those people are, they're not being kind to you. You want us to call down lightning from heaven? Like, we'll kill them. Let's just do it. Like, let's do it, man. This would be amazing. And they're asking Jesus, hey, can we sit on your right hand and left hand in heaven? Hey, can we do this, right? It's like it's an imperfect discipleship, but man, they are with him though. It's not perfect, but they're there. They want to know him. They want to uh, get from him, not just because he, he gives them healing, but because they truly believe he's God and they want to know him. They want to be with him. They want to study him. Eventually, they're going to go out and they're going to die for him. So those that follow him, it's the belief he's the king, and it, if you believe he has the authority and he's the king, then your response is, how do I, listen, how do I give up everything for you? There's so many parables about, you know, about these kinds of things, like the parable of the field, where there's this field that there's, a, you know, this wealth in the field, and someone gives up everything that he has to go buy this field so that he can get the wealth that's there. There's sad stories about Jesus, you know, someone coming to Jesus, a rich man, saying, hey, I want to follow you, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, it's, it's easy, sell everything. And the guy wants, goes away sad because he wasn't willing to give everything for him. Following Jesus is not half-hearted. It's not something that we give up some of us and hold on to some of us. It's, it's like, Lord, what do you want from me? Here it is. Here's my life. These are four responses with four beliefs. The question is, why does this matter for you on a Tuesday morning? I asked that earlier. What does it matter when you get up late and your alarm's not, you know, didn't go off and now you've got to rush for work and you forget to brush your teeth, you know? You ever have that happen? Like, oh, man, I forgot to brush my teeth. Anybody have any gum? Like, that's what, your first question. Um, why does it matter? Here's why it matters. Because sometimes we believe one thing about him on Tuesday that we didn't believe about him on Monday. 
because we're imperfect. There's sometimes where on Monday we're like, Lord, what do you want? I, I'm giving everything to you. And then when we hit Tuesday morning, we feel like, Lord, it's just, it's enough uh, for me. Like, I need, you to, I need you to fix my life because I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. My, my, my belief sometimes about him fluctuates given my circumstances. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that I, I don't see him as big enough. I don't see him as the king enough. I don't see him as authoritative enough. And so, therefore, when I get and in control enough and for me enough and loving enough and good enough, and so, therefore, when things hit me, I wonder if, if my life isn't then getting into this, Lord, I need you kind of situation. Just give me what I need and what I want. Because I can't pay my bills and I'm, I'm questioning your love for me again. I don't know if you're for me again. Here I am. I'm not sure that you're there. I know a lot about you, but I'm not sure how to worship you right now. I'm not sure how that goes. Listen, that is a functional nature of discipleship. This could be, you know, these first three categories could be these people just aren't Christians. It could also be that, that the, especially the second and third one, that we are Christians. We just, man, we struggle in our Christian life. My guess is, if I, I'm not going to do this, but my guess if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you struggle in your Christian life, all of us should raise our hands. Because the Christian life is not easy. It's hard because, man, we've got to live here. This is a broken place. The question for, for you is, how often are we thinking of Jesus as the king, and how often are we thinking of Jesus as the genie? Never had a friend like me. Get back in the genie bottle, Jesus. Stop talking about what you want me to do differently in my life. Or, Lord, more often than not, I know I struggle up and down, but I just want you to be the king of my life. Show me what it means to follow you. Listen, following Jesus is hard and also full of joy. And you know when we find the mo most joy, honestly, when we follow him, we find the most joy in the downs. I don't know what I would do in my life if, if those moments where I was just down, where something happened in my life that I just, I needed answers, if I didn't have either the, both the church and the king of the church. Because it's, the, it's in the king, kingdom of God and his authority that I find joy and hope in the midst of hardships. When, when Jesus was in the ground, the apostles all gathered together. Notice that. When he was in the ground, they didn't know what to do. They all just gathered together. That's what we do as a church. Like we, we gather together and say, let's remember what he said. Let's encourage one another. We have to make sure we grasp this because there's a warning. And here's the warning. It's that it's possible to follow him and want to be super close to him and also betray him because that's what Judas did. And it, it wasn't because, you know, like, I believe you can't lose your salvation. I do. It wasn't that Judas, all of a sudden, he was a Christian, he loved Jesus, and then he decided, I'm done with it. It's that he just wore a mask all the time. Nobody really knew who that guy was. And it's so easy for us to wear a mask all the time because we're around each other and we just we want to look apart. We want people to see us a certain way. We want people to see us as all put together. We want all of this to take place, and yet it's possible for us to wear a mask so that we, we walk out this Christian life as if, like, hey, we're one of everybody else, and yet, at the, and yet at the very same time, we know in our hearts, we're like, I don't think I believe he's the king. 
Church, we got to take our masks off. There's a, there's a difference between Judas, who betrayed Jesus to his death, and Peter, who denied Jesus, who immediately when he heard about him again, ran as quickly as he could back to the tomb. Because he thought, man, if I, if I need anything, it's not to get away from Jesus, it's to get closer to him. Where are you? Where are you, church? Like how do we, how do we think about this? Well, let, let me give us uh, two ways that we can live this out. How do we think through these four things? Because this isn't meant to cause you to be, feel guilty or shame. This is cause you to just evaluate. All right, where am I, how am I living? Like, what am I doing? Where, is Jesus big enough for me? Is he, is he the king of my life? How do I think about this? So the first question is, ask this. Uh, ask this honest questions about your daily walk with him. Honest questions. Lord, where am I at with you right now? Help me. Be, be with me. Like, give me, give me something. I, I want to see you move. I want to see you work. I'm struggling. Ask honest questions and I give honest answers. Sometimes the, sometimes the answer is, Lord, I'm struggling. I, I don't believe you're the king right now. That's not, a, that's not a faithless answer. As a matter of fact, that's a faith-filled answer. You know why? It takes a lot of faith to be able to express to him, I don't believe you right now. It takes a lot of faith that he's not just going to take a lightning bolt and just destroy you on the, in the moment. It takes a lot of faith in his goodness and gospel reality and his love for you and the fact that he died for you. Warts and all, he died for you. I'm not scared of him. He, he loves me. So I come before him and go, Lord, I, I'm struggling with you right now. You've got to help me. I, I, want you to, I want you to show me your goodness. Please give me your kindness. Help me to understand that you're the king. This goes back to our purposely biblical value. We don't want to be those that just see the Bible. We want to be, be those that apply the Bible. We want to apply the word and, and worship the king. That's what we want to do. We want to see it and apply it. So don't be scared of honesty with Jesus. Be honest with him. Ask the honest questions. Pray honest prayers. And then, and then watch him work, and, and which leads me to the second thing. And then, and then work hard in our own hearts to trust that he is the king because he is the king. Trust, trust, uh, uh, trust that he is the king and follow him. Be like the apostles here. There's like, where's Jesus? He's going on the mountain. We're going on the mountain. Where's Jesus? Well, he's getting on the boat. We're, okay, we're going on the boat. Where's he? He's on the sea again. All right, we're going on the sea. I guess we're going with him over here. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. Imperfectly. You know, not always great. Sometimes asking dumb questions. Sometimes we read our Bibles and we think, why did, what's Peter doing? Right? Like, I don't understand. Like, this doesn't, he's with Jesus. Why is he asking this question? Or why is he doing this? You know why? Because he's just like you and me. The question is, are we willing to just trust that he's the king and follow him in that? Are we willing to give up our lives for his sake? Are we willing to, to work at putting aside these other things and asking honest questions and being honest? Because... How you respond to Jesus, it just reveals what you believe about him. Let's work hard to look and see, well, what do I believe about him right now? What do I believe about him? And, and what is that showing me about my response to him? And then working hard just to say, Lord, I want to follow you. Give me grace to follow you. Let me do it for your name. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Have the band come on up as we, as we close. Lord, help us to, to uh, walk with you. 
But help us to be a, a people who are not just those who are, who are consumers of you, who want something from you all the time, who want you to just serve us and, and to meet our needs when we need you, and, and then to say, just leave us alone when we don't, but to be those that say in an all-encompassing way, Lord, be the king of our lives, of our lives. Help us to, to see you in everything we're doing, Lord. Cause us to, to diminish in our own eyes so that you might get bigger, Lord. Help us to, to look at these examples here as these people responded to you, Lord. Help us to be like the apostles. Imperfect followers of you who are eager to meet you and to be with you and to to look like you and to tell people about you and Lord in our in our failures to confess those things and to be real with people help us to take masks off and to see you for who you are Lord do that in us Jesus we ask and we pray in your name amen I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today you can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.